Well, here we go, and once again, it's time to go inside EMS. You know who I am, and you know who this next guy is, my good friend, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson. What's going on, man? I'm, I'm good, man. That, that opening left me kind of feeling like Forrest Gump. My name's Forrest Gump. They called me Forrest Gump. Well, I mean, I think that that I think that that works out well for everybody, then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's good. I'm I'm doing good, man. So it's a short. It was a short week. Labor Day. Um, yep. Did you have to labor on Labor Day? I uh, well, I didn't labor for a paycheck, but I yes, I labored my butt off for Labor Day. So you know, it seems that when Labor Day comes, we don't really get to sit on the couch and put our feet up and watch TV and. Uh, what happened? What happened to my cookouts and, and that's right, and exactly. Fire pit and and brats and hamburgers and steaks on the grill. No, I didn't get any of that. Uh, I uh, I just worked. Yeah, well, I guess that uh, you know that's par for the course when we get older and uh, we only have a few weekends left. You know, somebody said that to me the other day. They said, "So, Chris, you're 54." I said, "Yeah, that's right, 54. I'll be 55 in March." And they said, "How many weekends do you think you have left?" <laughs> Oh, no, I don't even think about that. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, man. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, can you pass a Jack Daniels? Yeah, and <laughs> with the chaser of Metamucil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pepto-Bismol. So uh, it is interesting getting older. And, you know, one of the things that I find is that, uh, and probably you do as well, is I understand or I see things a lot differently than I did when I was 40 or 30 and you know things just kind of click as to understanding what they mean now and now whether it's my meaning or whether there's some secret light that pops on in the universe i don't know but uh you know it, it gives you a different perspective that's for sure do you, do you find yourself having a lot more get off my lawn moments <laughs> well i'm not coming down there so you'd have to worry about me walking on your lawn but so kelly it is uh, september and yeah. uh, every September, we do bring it up and we talk about something that's very close to your, I guess, heart uh, or butt, uh, for that matter, um, <laughs> kills it to kick cancer. And uh, this is where you and a bunch of your uh, friends uh, really kind of bring some awareness to prostate cancer um, and, you know, getting checked out. But maybe we just talk about it a little bit, because I do think that this is something in EMS you know, you know as well as I do. I mean, we understand the medicine, we understand the mm -hmm. science, but we don't take care of ourselves very well when it comes to, um, you know, first aid, when it comes to uh, uh, preventive care, when it comes to. And, and one of the reasons I like to bring this up every year is it's something that we should think about. Yeah. Yes, indeed. You know, kilted to kick cancer got started uh, with um, uh, an offshoot of. Uh, uh, EMTs and firefighters wearing pink for uh, breast cancer awareness. And and one prominent EMS blogger at the time, uh, EMS Artifact, uh, posed a question to a bunch of us. He said, look, you know, uh, that's great, but prostate cancer kills more men than breast cancer kills women every year. Um, all of you guys wearing these pink shirts uh, don't have breast cancer, but you do have prostate glands. Why aren't you raising awareness for male-oriented uh, cancers? Uh, that are just as bad a problem. And we, he was right. So uh, a, a couple of EMS bloggers uh, and, and public safety bloggers took the charge. Justin Shore, the happy medic, and, and Jason Hoshauer, the um, motor cop, started Kilted to Kick Cancer. The premise being uh, that we wear kilts for the entire month of September 
to to raise awareness for for prostate cancer research. And uh, I said, to heck with raising awareness. Let's raise money, too. So I started the fundraising challenge and was one of the original board members of Kilted to Kick Cancer. And I've since stepped down from that, but I still wear my kilt and and in solidarity uh, for uh, for the the cause. And and we've raised uh, done a lot of good for for prostate cancer research and uh, and done a lot to raise awareness over the last few. It's almost eight years now. We started in 2011 uh, doing this. Uh, and the kilted army goes out there and they wear their kilts. And when people ask the, the natural question, well, what's under the kilt? You say a one in seven chance of prostate cancer. Uh, and we go into our spiel. But um, that's that's what we're doing right now. I get a chance to uh, get a little cross ventilation and, um, uh, and, and, and raise money for a good cause as well. Do you do your do you do your shifts in your kilt? Uh, no, I wish I wish. Um, uh, I, uh, my employer won't let me wear a kilt on shift. I keep telling them, well, you know, you have some, some women that, that wear green skirts, uh, as, as a religious thing. Um, why can't I wear a kilt? And they said, just no kilt. You know, I said, well, come on, man. What's the difference between a kilt and a skirt? And they said, you hold C-spine with your knees sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that might be one reason not to wear a kilt or at the very least not to wear it regimental. <laughs> Yeah, so, that's funny. That's really funny. I do, so, have, a, I do have a green Acadian kilt uh, that I wear uh, sometimes for uh, for awareness and that sort of thing, but not on the job when I'm out uh, when I'm out showing the flag. I'll, I'll sometimes wear my Acadian kilt as part of my uniform, but but not uh, on the job. Interesting. So if people can donate it, uh, can donate the kilt that the kid cancer. You said you're not on the board, but if folks yeah. wanted to, you know, uh, think about prostate awareness and uh, kind of uh, uh, donate to that, Kelly. Is there a way they can do that? Yeah, they go to www.kiltedtokickcancer.org and hit the Donate tab. Uh, if there's any one particular Kilted fundraiser that would like to support, uh, most of them have their fundraising pages still active. Uh, you can go there and, and uh, donate on their behalf and, um, and, and help a good cause. One of the nice things about Kilted to Get Cancer that, that we take a great deal of pride in is that we are, uh, when I was on there, and, and it still holds true today, we are a volunteer board. We don't, we don't, uh, uh, are not paid for our efforts. And about 90% plus, probably close to 95% of the money we take in is directly donated to cancer research. Uh, there, are, there are no overhead costs, and, and of the hundreds of thousands of dollars raised thus far, uh, all of that money has gone to cancer research. So very cool. Uh, it's a, it's a worthy cause. Proud. You know, and back in the days when we were doing this, when you were in the yeah. fundraising business, you would actually do things for the highest uh, donations. Oh, yeah. You know, if you had a X amount of donation, Kelly Grayson would do uh, uh, some things. There's a yeah. video. There's a video out there um, that you made because of my donation. And uh, I wish we could resurrect it just so we can uh, remember it. But uh, you know, if you it used to be that it used to be that you gave uh, well, whatever it was, uh, X amount of dollars. Kelly Grace won't even come and give you a prostate exam. So I think that there was no, 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 no. Uh, we did have one Kilton fundraiser challenge his his donors to uh, if they got him above a certain uh, fundraising threshold that he would live blog his prostate exam. Uh, 
they didn't get him to that point, but they did get him high enough uh, where uh, he vowed to wax his junk for charity. Oh my uh, gosh! Oh and my he, gosh! He got a, a got a, a male version of the Brazilian uh, for that, and and at that same event, the, uh, they challenged me, and and I let my my alligator mouth uh, overload my hummingbird behind because I could hear Tom screaming in the other room, and. Uh, and somebody, I said, no way. And someone said, uh, Kelly, what would it take for you to wax yours? And I said, you guys will have to raise at least $500. And I didn't get it out of my mouth before they said, oh, we got that covered. Did, so, you, have, did you have to do it? Yes, I did. And, and, and five minutes later, someone said, well, what would it take to wax everything from the eyebrows down? And I said, well, you guys would have to at least double that. And there was this mass exodus toward the door to go hit the ATM machine. So, so they came back and I had to go through with it. The, the poor esthetician didn't have enough wax to cover my entire body. So I had to finish <laughs> it off. I had to finish it off in the shower with Nair. That's um, crazy. But, you, have, uh, you have pictures of that? No, I do not. And you don't want to see them. Somebody's got to have pictures. Have, Somebody's got to have pictures. I do man. have a, I do have a picture somewhere of me lying on the, on the futon where all this was being done with my belly waxed and a, and a little, little furry Chewbacca sitting on my, uh, on my belly. But it, it occurred to me then there was an epiphany about, uh, about me during that whole event. First of all, it is painful. I have a, an entirely new respect for the pain threshold of women. It hurts to have those things waxed. Um, and while they're doing this, I've got, uh, a good friend who's the, the, uh, uh, her, her best friend was the esthetician. So she called her in to do this. And at some point during my waxing, uh, my, my comrade in arms, uh, stingray, uh, heard me screaming, came in there and, and gave me some moral support. And I'm in the middle of this and I said, okay, here I am lying naked on a futon with an attractive woman waxing my nether regions. And her friend and one of my best friends uh, helping position things for wax application and a male friend holding my hand for moral support. There went the last of my boundaries. That's not good. A grown man ought to have some kind of boundaries. <laughs> so I said, well, perhaps I need to, I, I, uh, I'll share that, but I'm going to, I'm going to share less in the future. That's a, that's a great story, yeah. but uh, I think I'm going to need therapy. So yeah. let's talk about let's talk about a little bit therapy, Kelly. One of the things that uh, you had going on for a long time was your article, your blog, um, "Confessions of an EMS Newbie," mm -hmm. and I got to tell you, it was very entertaining. It was very funny, um, and you are now about to resurrect the. Um, you know, you're about to resurrect Confessions of an EMS Newbie, yeah. and I think that you know what we try to do here is we try to educate. You know, we try to entertain, um, you know, we try to ensure that people get, uh, you know, a little bit of information and talk about the things that everybody's talking about. But I thought it would be a great opportunity just to kind of touch on confessions of an EMS newbie, because I think mm -hmm. that everybody who is uh, part of that will get something out of it, just like, you know, this show. And, and I guess my first question to you is what made you come up with it and uh, what was the catalyst for uh, kicking this off? Well, actually, I, I didn't come up with it. This was uh, Confessions of an EMS Newbie was the brainchild of Ron Davis. 
Uh, Ron was a, uh, a gun blogger and, and, uh, and photographer and, and had, had everyone's dream job. He, he took pictures of, of beautiful women holding, holding cool firearms all day. Um, but he wanted to, uh, he, he, he was thinking about becoming an EMT just for the knowledge of it and thought, man, you know, it'd be a, a pretty cool, uh, idea to, to blog about my experiences or even podcast about my experiences, uh, in EMT class and, and talk about it with an experienced, uh, uh EMT and, and educator. So he approached me about it and, and we started confessions of an EMS newbie. And the way it worked is that he'd go to class and every week after class, he and I would sit down and we'd record a podcast and he'd talk about what he learned in class. And I'd give him my perspective on it as a 20 year medic and, and a longtime EMS educator. And, uh, uh, my perspective on, on why he was learning the things he was learning and, and what was important and what really wasn't and what was just in his in, instructors being cruel and, 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 and the things that he didn't appreciate that actually would be beneficial down the line. And we talked about that for, for uh, a couple of three years uh, all the way through through Ron's paramedic school. Now, he became a paramedic and, and uh, he and his uh, uh, wife relocated to Abilene. And the, the, the situation there, he, uh, job situation, he didn't want to go back into EMS, uh, uh, where he was. So he's, he's out of EMS now, but he's given us blessing to resurrect confessions of an EMS newbie because we have something exciting, uh, exciting going on. We're starting, uh, I say we're, um, Nancy McGee is starting a new EMT class starting in October. And she has been railing at me, Chris, for as long as we've been together uh, about everything that's wrong with EMS education. And uh, some of it I think is pie in the sky thinking, but a whole lot of what she says uh, really hit home. And and she makes the point to me that I, I uh, she says, you know, you're resistant to, to these ideas because you're trapped by the system. And, She's right to a certain extent. I am. I was trapped by the system. I, I keep doing what works for me because it works for me. But that's not to say that another approach to EMS education wouldn't be better than what I'm doing now. So, so she came up with a, an idea for an EMT class called EMT 360, uh, and the premise being that if, if a flipped classroom uh, is 180 degrees from from what we normally think of of educational approach then the, the uh, EMT 360 takes it, takes it uh, full circle. Well, she's going to start an EMT class and teach it from the back of the book to the front. And the basic premise is, is we'll start off, we'll teach awareness level stuff of EMR topics and, 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 uh, and uh, teach um, mainly skills uh, with a, a little bit of pathophys and a little bit of A&P, just enough to, to get your EMR certification. Uh, and then six weeks into the course, we'll start delving into the EMT education. But the, the key feature of the course is that people are going to be doing a lot more clinicals a lot earlier than they normally would in EMT class in, in the same amount of, of time that it takes to typically teach an EMT class. You know, we've been we've been teaching EMT class for how many years? Um, and Chris, when you went through EMT class, when did you do your clinicals? Well, I was uh, I was in the United States Air Force, so I went right to paramedics. So, yeah. Well, you know, most people the traditional format is is you 
when you start getting toward the end of your book, you do your, your clinical rotations in the EMT class. And I know paramedic class starts starts clinicals on a rolling basis. Most programs start them on a rolling basis earlier on. But an EMT class is kind of the culmination of your EMT course uh, is doing those ER and, and ambulance uh, clinical rotations. But uh, everything up to that point is a slog. Uh, and and you're working with simulated patients and mannequins and so on and so forth, and you get uh, three or four or five clinical shifts if if you're lucky, and if you're lucky on those shifts, you get to see something cool, but half the time you spend uh, 24, 36, 48 hours on an ambulance and doing a whole lot of nothing between a call here and there. Um, What we're going to be doing, what Nancy's going to be doing in this class, and I'll be a subject matter expert uh, chipping in and and teaching some of the the deeper uh, stuff in in the EMT portion of it, is the first week of class, we're teaching vital signs and history taking. And after that, people are going to start getting clinical experience uh, throughout the rest of the course. And they'll get a minimum number of patient contacts and a minimum number of hours per week in addition to their, their classroom work. Uh, and it's going to wind up with uh, uh, EMT students at the end will be practiced at gathering histories, talking to people, uh, to actual patients, putting their hands on people. And they will have seen hundreds of patients uh, instead of maybe 10 or 12. And, yeah. and that's going to be that's going to be pretty exciting. We've got some con- contracts with uh, with nursing homes and um, and uh, emergency departments. We're going to start people off with and they're just going to talk to and assess and take vital signs and take histories from people with multiple medical problems uh, for several hours a week uh, while they're going to class to give what we talk about in class some real world context. That's something we're pretty excited about. Yeah, I mean, I I think it sounds amazing and I'll be interested to see. So uh, in this context then of how does, how will Confessions of an EMS newbie work? Well, um, we're partnering with, with Dan Limmer uh, on on uh, the apps and, and some of the materials for the class uh, and using some of his Limmer Creative apps. So we're going to utilize Dan's expertise, uh, and especially in the, the Internet-based uh, stuff. So Dan's going to help us co-host the podcast. Uh, Ron's going to stay on as, as uh, executive producer, if you will, to, uh, to help us uh, on the, the back end of, of the podcasting. And Dan and I will interview Nancy, and a rotating cast of her students uh, throughout the course to get their experiences with uh, with this new type of EMT course. And we'll probably have some some of our former students in who experienced a more traditional EMT class uh, and have them kind of compare notes and what's different about this new one and, and how much better it is or what are what are the pearls and pitfalls. This is something we're going to be piloting and, and uh, I think it'd be cool to chronicle it along the way and and we're going to pick Nancy's brain uh, and, and see what she uh, see what kind of um, uh, uh, experiences she and her students have in, in teaching this course. All right. So if people are going to f- want to find this podcast, how are they going to do that? Um, th- they can go online and uh, to uh, www.emsnewbie.com. And uh, there is a Facebook page for Confessions of an EMS Newbie. The old archives are still up. We have uh, both... Uh, um, uh, both the paramedic and the EMT school of EMS newbie. So many people uh, over the years have told me uh, that they got their start in EMS uh, in EMS uh, by listening to Confessions of an EMS newbie, and that it helped them through school. 
uh, we were talking about uh, getting old in the in the intro to the podcast, and and somebody made me feel ancient the other day. I said, man, oh, confessions of an EMS newbie. That's great, man. That helped me through paramedics uh, through EMT and paramedic school almost a decade ago. I was like, get off my lawn. That's right. But that's not uh, that's not as bad as how many weekends do you have left? But yeah, so anyway. I, I mean, they, good. go to the website or, or go to the Facebook page and, and the class gets started in, in uh, uh, next month. And within the first couple of weeks of class, uh, hopefully we, we will start posting new episodes. So so stay tuned in late October for uh, Confessions of an EMS Newbie, Volume 3. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are the shortcomings of, of current EMS education? And what is what is your program or your agency doing to uh, kind of flip the script and, and, and make uh, EMS education new and fresh. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the matter at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys this week.